Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, today's guest is somebody with a very interesting background. Catherine Connolly has worked as a clinical psychologist and is a qualified barrister. And in her current capacity as independent TD for Galway West, she was elected the first woman, Las Kion Corla of the Dáil, which, of course, is the deputy chairperson. Catherine, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Catherine, as last Kion Corley, you're in the chair for a lot of the doll debates, I suppose, having to keep everyone in line. It's um, it's a pretty new experience, I'd imagine. How are you finding it? First of all, I had some experience as, as a regular chair since the day I was elected. I always say I was the token woman. Um, so from 2016 up to 20, I did some stints in the chair. Uh, so I had some experience of it. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a privilege it's absolutely a privilege to be in the chair. It's overwhelming sometimes in terms of the time. Last week now, for instance, between myself and the Ciancorl, I think we lost, I, I lost count of how many hours we spent in the chair. One night I was there till two or half two and then back in again in the morning at 10 o'clock. This week was a little easier, hence I'm able to, to talk to you. Right, God, it's, it's, a fair, um, it's a fair commitment, all right. Um, as you say, I suppose it can be changed time. I recall one sitting there, Catherine, just before the summer, there was a big row over yes. speaking rights. You, you, you were under a bit of yes. pressure that evening, I think. Yes, well, we knew that row was coming because uh, the smaller groups and, and, and independents were most unhappy and they were most unhappy with the way the business committee were making decisions. So I knew that row was coming. Um, it went a little further than I had anticipated, you know, when TDs refused to resume their seats. So eventually I had no choice but to, ab- to abandon that all for a little while. I mean, subsequently, uh, the Ciancorla had to do the exact same thing. So just uh, TDs were very, very cross at the way they ha- the way the system was being rolled out by the majority voice on the um, business committee. And out of curiosity, in something like that, and in particular, I think one of the issues there was allocation of speaking time and a lot of independents like yourself at times have had very understandable issues in that respect. And you're there having to straddle two horses effectively, aren't you? Because unlike the Keown Corla, who's there full time, yeah. you also have to do your duties as a TD. Yeah, that's right. And and you think that's difficult, but actually it comes relatively easy to me. I just assume a different role, I think, once I go into the chair and realise I have to be neutral. And also, I think inside of me, I, I fundamentally respect the democratic process. It's all we have. It's certainly far from perfect. And one despairs of it many of the time. But when, when you're in the chair, people are elected. They're elected by the people. And I, I fundamentally respect that. So I think I just swap. Sometimes it's difficult to come from the fighting mode 
uh, when you're out, um, you know, asking your question or whatever topic you're discussing. But I think going to the room, putting on the cloak and coming back in, it helps. That little transition helps you to sort of move into a different space. And that then, could you suggest it's a bit like Clark Kent turning into Superman inside in, in, in the telephone box and coming out with the cape as a different person altogether. <laughs> but just there this week, actually, I noticed uh, when... Last week, Leo Varadkar was under some serious pressure over this uh, leak that was discovered and you were one of those questioning him and I have to say it was quite forensic in your questioning. But uh, as that for an instance, because obviously Leo Varadkar would have been there for Taoiseach's questions and he still would fill in for Michal Martin when he's doing it. And that's really at the cutting edge of having to straddle those two horses, isn't it? Yes, you're you're absolutely right, Michael. And I, and I was sort of, in a sense... Um, I was delighted I wasn't doing the question session immediately following my questioning of him. I think it came later in the evening and I wasn't actually in the chair. So I was a little grateful for that, that I wasn't in the chair. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it's the democratic process and you, and you have to be able to do it. I mean, the Ciancorla, the last Ciancorla, we went forward, um, myself and Thomas Pringle and my other colleagues, we decided to, to go for. I mean, that it ties back into this... I actually didn't make the um, step of seeing myself as Las Cancorla. What, what I saw was a process where there was no competition. And so there was one candidate, Fergus O'Dowd. And I, I was talking to Thomas Pringle about that and equally to me. And we were saying, you know, I, I, we give out about lack of competition. And it, it was in that context that I went forward then. Um, and particularly as a woman, that was also part of it but it was just to have a competition um, I didn't actually take the extra step seeing myself as Las Corla because I really believed that the government had the um, had the numbers Yeah so do, 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 when you put your name forward that's what I was curious about Catherine you put your name forward um, but as you say you didn't expect to get do you, did, you, did you lobby for it? Did I lobby? Well, we only decided the, on the Thursday beforehand when it was when it was crystal clear that no other party was putting up a candidate. So we went. I went home on a Thursday. Thomas Pringle was very good, and so were the staff in the office here. And between we we did not over the weekend. When I came back on the Tuesday, we certainly we had to you know have the the um, nominations in and all of that. That was a practical matter. And then I wrote to all TDs a short letter, short few notes in Irish and English. That was, I, I, I can't remember, it was Tuesday or Wednesday morning and the election was Thursday. And I mean, it was very, very, it was very um, short and to the point, you know, asking for their support. Yeah, because the interesting thing to come out of it is quite obviously a good few of those on the government benches must have decided purely based on the sums that uh, they weren't going to vote for the... And Fergus O'Dowd has to be said also a popular individual, best I can discern. You know, people like the guy as well and would have respect for him. But quite obviously, a number of people on the government benches decided they were going to um, to plumb for yourself. Well, I, I leave them to make the confession to you, Michael, in due course. But <laughs> I'm just happy with the result. And in fact, it took me a little while to adjust to the result. It truly did. Because we were not... I. I, I we were expecting to galvanise the opposition. 
and I would have been happy with that and I would have and I was proud to stand with the assistance I got from my colleagues and the staff in the office. I think it's very important. When I look back uh, on my life or some of it, I remember at one stage Michael D wanted to go forward as president. I've forgotten the years, around 2007 I think and he wanted to stand as candidate and I remember at the time Pat Rabbits said no because there wasn't a hope of winning and that always stuck in my head. I I never accepted that logic. I thought, imagine I have to go home and if, say to your children, don't take part in that because you're not going to win. That the process of taking part, like the like like, is is very important. And that stuck in my head. I thought it was a very bad decision by Pat Rabbit at the time. I thought Michael D should have stood at the time just to show that there was an alternative vision and a different way of doing things. Um, Anyway, that's just so that was in my head at this that you couldn't just hand over the last Cancorla process and the voting process to one candidate who happened to be male. It just, it just, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself politically having let that happen. Yeah, as I say, you're the first female in the position. It's interesting you say that, Catherine, about the. The previous time Michael Lee might have wanted to go because one could well say that if you go all the way back to 1990, a huge number of people said Mary Robinson hadn't a chance, hadn't a That's chance correct. in terms of the prevailing yeah. politics at the time. Yeah. And if she had taken the same approach that you're suggesting others might, you know, she never would have been um, would have been president. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's. Yeah. Yourself, Catherine, um, you're a clinical psychologist. I trained as a clinical psychologist. I did a master's in clinical psychology in Leeds many moons ago. And then I worked as a clinical psychologist in Banlaslow. And somewhere along the line, I changed. I started doing an LLB at nighttime. Actually, that's what happened in Galway. I'm from Galway originally. I was working in Banlaslow. From Galway City? Yeah. And I, and I, I worked in a community setting, which was very unusual. It was very new and very exciting at the time, although I just took it for granted. I didn't realise how exciting it was. It was only when I look back, I had a choice of going into working in a psychiatric hospital or working in a community setting. So I, I went into a health centre um, and I worked with a multidisciplinary team. I worked very closely with a speech and language therapist, myself and the area medical officers. And it was as I say, looking back on it, it was quite exciting. And I worked there for approximately seven years between there and Galway City. And then you looked at the law. I didn't actually look at the law. The law looked at me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested in many things, you know. And as I settled into the job and got used to it, I had time to spare in the evening. And I actually had a very good time in Bandeslaw. I, 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 but I didn't like the, the um, physical side of Bandeslaw. I come from Galway City. I was used to the sea and the water. So after a few years, I had to stop giving out because I actually met my husband in Bandeslaw and I played badminton and I ran marathons. I was actually having a very good time. But I kept saying I don't like Bandeslaw and I stopped that. And I, 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 somebody told me about the LLB and I started the LLB in Galway at night time. And... Um, it was one of the best courses I've ever done, actually, the LLB, better than any course I've ever done after psychology. The Masters in Leeds was an absolute eye-opener as well to me, and the LLB was excellent. Um, and I applied for a permanent job with the what was called the Old Western Health Board. I got that permanent job, but I had a few weeks to think about it before I took the permanent job, and they had subsumed psychology in the community back under child psychiatric services and I didn't agree with that. So I actually didn't take my permanent job. 
and I continued on with the law and I thought part-time. I took any job I could get and um, I worked as a part-time psychologist doing locums and then I worked as a teacher teaching travellers and so on. And But all the time I was doing the law, I did the LLB and then followed it on with the BL in Dublin. And did you go on to practice as a barrister, Catherine? I did. I practised, yes. I practised. Practised on the Galway circuit. And how did you find that? A challenge. I had no legal background whatsoever and I actually found the psychology a great handicap initially because I had been tra- because I'd been trained as a listener although my sisters <laughs> my, my sisters and there's five of them left tell me I've lost that ability a long time ago but I, I had the ability to listen then and it was a distinct disadvantage in fact because younger barristers were coming in you know and I thought God why don't they stop talking they're not making sense or you know, one should listen and reflect And but then I realised you made your money from talking you know, and you had to stand up. But it took a little while. Later on, it became an absolute advantage to me, my clinical psychology background, but not in the first few years. When you say you make your money from talking and the way you've described it there, Catherine, are you suggesting that you could do an awful lot of talking that is not necessarily, to use that phrase, adding value, but the mere fact that you're perceived to be talking a lot is regarded as, as, as the old, um, the old clock clocking up? I'll have a lot of ex-colleagues who won't be talking to me, so I don't think I'll answer that. But certainly my own personal experience, I found it hard to find my own voice. I was more inclined to listen to the proceedings and listen to what the judge was saying and and listen. And it it was much later, particularly with family law, that I realised that listening was an absolute advantage. And did you specialise in family law or did you spend a lot of time in that area? I, I didn't. I, I, I spent most of my time in the end in family law simply because I, I, I became a councillor in 1999 as a labour councillor. And then in 2004, I was mayor of Galway for a year. And then I, I, I was independent from 2006. And the only reason I mentioned that more and more, my life got busier as a, as a, as a local councillor, you know. So I was able to specialise then in family law. I couldn't commit to... I'd have loved criminal law and I did some of it, but not a lot. But I couldn't, I couldn't do it all and I gave more and more time to, I, well, politics and, and two children as well. So I specialised and did family law for the most of the time. Yeah. And people say family law, as, as an area, Catherine, it's a very interesting area. It's obviously a very traumatic area because you're dealing with breakups and, and, and issues around children and not being able to um, people take care of children. Was it a big help to you in terms of when you got into politics that you you knew what was wrong with the system? It was an advantage and a disadvantage because one could easily give in to despair because coming from my background and I come from a large family, one saw the problems and one saw the solutions. And you had to look at other people's point of view, but still come up with a pragmatic solution. So often a sense of frustration, particularly as a councillor, watching the same mistakes repeated over and over in relation to bad planning, not building public housing, not building playgrounds, you know. That was utterly frustrating for me, I have to say. And I had to find some way of staying with it and realise, I, I think often I said to myself, if I'm finding it hard and I've had to a certain extent a privileged background, privileged in the sense of education and privileged in the sense of experience is all I mean. Um, how difficult was it for somebody outside of that trying to make their way in life who didn't have the privilege of a voice? And I think that kept me going, plus support, support from my family. And what brought you into politics? Anger. 
anger and Michael D at the time. I, I certainly was not the chosen candidate. Michael D was looking for candidates to stand for the local election and nobody wanted to go forward. And in fact, I still find that is the position, particularly women, they just don't want to come forward. The system is not suitable for family life. I don't think it ever will be, really. But so to answer your question... Uh, Michael D was looking for candidates. He asked a number of people and eventually I succumbed on the promise that it would be, I think, one meeting a month and all sorts of other promises. But um, anyway, it was anything but one meeting. And far from that, you got to a stage, I think, where you became interested in running for the Dáil. And was that at the point where um, where you departed from Labour? It was one of the points, actually... I'll tell you the point where I departed from Labour. There were many points in my head where I departed from Labour. Anger brought me in. And I remember Canvas in 1999 and people would say, what are you going to do for me? And I would say, nothing, actually. I have the same sense of anger as you have. And I remember the person canvassing with me. He's still, he's still around. And we often laugh about it. He says, you can't say that. And I said, well, I can and I am because I am promising anything except I share the anger about the lack of facilities, about the lack of playgrounds and about so many other things. And it's time we stood together and done something about it. Um, so that's part of the answer. Where did I part from Labour? It's so long ago. I, I left them in 2006 and it's now 2020. Um, I've always said they lost their soul. Um, and I'm saying this as a TD. and <laughs> not as Leskian Corl. I'm saying as an independent Galway West TD. Um, I can't take back what I've said and I, I repeat it. And they let a vacuum develop in, in Irish politics when they should have been leading. If, for example, in Galway, many, many years ago, there was a campaign about an incineration. No incineration. I was a part of that campaign. There were monster meetings in what was then the Car of Great Southern um, it's now scandalously still uh, empty and is a, a derelict building. But at that time, it was a thriving hotel, um, part of the railway group, the original railway hotels and thriving. And there were monster meetings, 1,000 and 1,500 people back in 2000, 2001 and two. And in fact, I only mentioned it to one of the women working with me in the office that somebody wrote a book at, on that um, period of time called the Burn, A Burning Issue. So why I mentioned that is Galway were way ahead. They were saying, we don't want incineration, but not in a NIMBY fashion. They were saying, we want zero waste. We went so far as bringing in our own plan, um, a waste plan, county waste plan by county. And that was against government policy. Sorry, it wasn't actually. But what they did afterwards, they brought in legislation to take away our power to bring in um, waste management plans. So I'm sort of going around in a circle to say the sense of frustration listening to some of the debates in the Dáil about uh, waste management and so on, when back in 2000, 2001, 2 and 3, we were leading that debate in Galway. We had recycling, we had three bins way back then, and in a pilot project, Galway City Council sponsored a pilot project in Renmore, and we achieved 70% recycling. 70% 70% diversion from landfill way back then. So to go back to the Labour Party, I felt that they failed to grasp that Galway wanted something different. That's just one example. And they let it slip as if it was a green issue to the Green Party. Nilo O'Brolligan at the time was active. But it, to me, it was one of the fundamental issues that we had to deal with um, 
refuse and how we dealt with it in a sustainable way, plus climate change. And to me, the Labour didn't grasp that. They, I, I, they didn't. It's difficult to be different and lead something that's different. It was also, Catherine, reported at the time that you you were interested in running as Michael D's running mate for the 07 election and there were some yes, internal party objections great. to it. And one way or the other, as what came out of that was you decided to leave and run as an independent yourself. I didn't. Yourself. I, I didn't actually decide to leave. I, I actually Sorry. just I just I actually said I'm going to stand. I, I actually said I'm going to stand as a candidate. Now do what you want about that. Right, so you, you were going to stand, if they, if they wanted you to stand the Labour ticket, you would, if not, you were going to stand as an independent. Absolutely. I, I thought, it for, for example, not for example, but by way of explanation, I was elected in 99, two Labour councillors, myself and a councillor, Tom Costello, who I had great respect for. And there were 15 councillors. And between 99 and 2004, there was a mantra, get the vote over with, you know how they're going to vote. Uh, 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 on occasion, I think I was, what was it referred to as? Uh, petticoat politics. Um, so 13-2 was the vote on major issues and w- by the time 2004 came I said we, we can't go on like this with just 13-2 we need, we need to grow and I actually moved towards I live in the Clada but I wasn't a councillor for that area I was a councillor for the area I was from Shantala and I made, I made a decision to move wards and stand in the South Ward and leave it open for other candidates to stand. As it turned out, my sister stood and another candidate, Billy Cameron, and they took two seats in the ward that I vacated. And I took my own seat. So we went back in in 2004 with four councillors. We were the biggest group on the council in 2004. Um, and and the fifth person who was never eliminated. So we did extremely well. And Galway was crying out for a different way, you know. And that's where really, I suppose, in my head, I started to part ways with them, even though I actually didn't do it physically till seven. Um, I get the impression, though, Catherine, that you, you still retained a lot of respect for Michael D. Oh, I wouldn't like to mention Michael D is the President of Ireland and I'm not even going to... I'd like to just stick on issues in the sense of... All right. Yeah, I, I really would just... I, I'm, I'm, you asked me something personally about myself or where I left the Labour. I, I actually never said, I'm leaving Labour. I said, it's important to stand just like it was important to put up extra candidates in 2004 and build on the momentum in Galway build on what we were doing. We were leading. We were working awful hard. Lots of people work hard. I'm not claiming any credit here. But we were working very hard on a different way. We were highlighting that we needed housing, we needed recycling in a sustainable way and so on. And I don't think Labour, when I talk about them generally, or they didn't see it. They didn't see that that's where we should be going. And then, so 2006 to seven, I said, we have to stand. We have to stand. It doesn't mean I'll take a seat, but we have to show that we're serious. And you, you did stand that year yourself and you got over 2,000 votes. I did, actually. And so it's very funny how things are written. Sorry, but that, that was similar to the 2004 when I moved towards. Labour didn't want me to move towards. That was the point I was trying to get to. They absolutely said, no, it's a disaster And if you move towards. And I said, but it's not, because if I lose my seat, so be it. But we, at least we'll go back with two seats. We'll be no worse off, except I won't be the person in the seat. And that was my motivation. I was lucky that I didn't. It was the issue that was more important. So I was only taking a personal risk of losing a seat, which you lose seats. So, but we were never going to lose. We were going to go back in with two. And 
I was never going back in with get the vote over with 13-2. We needed to show people there was a new way. So fast forward to the general election, it was the same thing. Now, I was actually very proud. I was proudest of that because we did that on a shoestring budget, freezing cold with a small team, and we took over 2,000 votes. And Nilo Brolicon for the Green Party stood that year, and he got over 3,000. And I always maintained there were two left seats and I was perfectly right because Michael D did extremely well. Nilo Brolicon for the Greens took over 3,000 and I took two. If we had worked together, we would have taken two left seats then. And Nile didn't take a seat despite the Green Party putting all of their resources behind him. So anyway, I, I'm not, I don't want to personalise it. I'm just using it to show yeah, yeah. that in, to me, Labour were missing the boat repeat, repeatedly. They were worried... And- they wanted to hold on to one seat. They were afraid to expand that they might endanger the seat. That's an old chestnut in politics though, isn't it? That business of being afraid to lose one rather than being um, more adventurous. In any event, you stood then, you stood in 2011 and you lost, I think in one count, by 17 votes, which that must have been very difficult. But what I find interesting, Catherine, is it didn't put you off. You still went at it. You were obviously focused I'm getting into the doll because you went again in 2016. No, I'll tell you what, the people around me that believed in what I believe in, I really, is, is the inspiration for me. I'm not a, uh, your everyday, not a, I say, what is a normal politician? There's no such thing as a normal politician, but it's to be a voice for people so that they find their voices because I'll be gone and people have to find their voices and that's what we need to have a healthy society. We've had so much silence and so much collusion. And I think my strength comes, I don't like being a politician. I, I don't enjoy it, actually. You don't enjoy no, it? No, I don't. I realise it's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege to be to be a politician. It's, it's, it's a privilege to be part of the democratic process. And when you say you don't enjoy it, Catherine, do you consider it an obligation at this stage? Or Yes, stage I do. Or? It's an obligation and a privilege. And it's well remunerated. I mean, and absolutely. I forget what started that. Oh, yeah, the, 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 the 11. Actually, I walked out of that very proud, out of Leisureland, because at the time there were difficult personal circumstances and my stepmother was dying. She died in the middle of the count. And just before that, in October, my dad had died. So we knew if actually there were 500 um, spoiled votes in a box that I never checked. I was up in the hospice. And I let my team down at that point, but I just wasn't able. They had worked so hard, a small team, to get me that far. It was only later I realised how upset and disappointed they were um, at losing by such a narrow margin. But I actually walked out proud, perhaps because there were so many other things happening in my life at the time. But there were actually five, I think approximately five, you know, your memory fades as the years go on, but there were approximately 500 spoiled votes. I forget the figure, but a substantial figure. And I never actually looked at them. And when I came back into the county register, who I have great respect for, she said, sorry, Catherine, you missed your moment. So I never actually checked those spoiled votes. I'm sure we could have got a few of them back. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. You never know. In any event, you made, you made it in 2016. Yeah, yes. Um, how did you find it, Catherine? Because obviously you're somebody who's focused on change and trying to better things, like most politicians. But I, I often people who go in, they suggest they find it very frustrating. Did you or did you see it as that you saw it as some place where you could affect some change? I never thought about affecting change in that way because I had been honed. My views, as I was a long time on the local council, 15 years, you know, 17 total in the end. And, you know, when you have five years of 13-2, get it over with, you're well used to the rough and tumble 
um, and you know how difficult it is. So I went in with my eyes open into the doll. I didn't go in, you know, I want to change the world. That didn't happen. I went in. Change a bit of Galway. (laughs) I went in to be a voice for Galway because there are many things that we could do much better in Galway, light rail being one of them, public housing on public land. I mean, ask me any of those questions and you won't stop me talking. It should be done. Public housing on public land. We should have a master plan for the city. We should have a feasibility study for light rail and we should stop the pretense. Did you find that you were able to make inroads in those respects, even in small ways, as a result of being in the doll? Yeah, I, I, I think I've given people hope and I think I've given people um, people who, an awful lot of people have lost any hope in politics or they think we all t- that we spin or we don't tell the truth. Or I, I would hope that I'll be able to go uh, keep working for as long as I can when I do go out, that I'll be able to look you or anybody in the eye and say I did my best and I, that I encouraged you to do your best and come forward. Is there a different way of doing things? Absolutely. What frustrates me now? The spin from the government. I, I despair of the spin. And going back to the Labour Party, you asked me where the, where I left them. Or I, I, The actual point of departure was one night at a council meeting where I actually, somebody said there was something, a decision made, and I put my hand up and said, I didn't make that decision. And they said, your whip made it. And I said, I don't have a whip. Was that that was that was that was where yeah. the papers picked it up, you know. Um, the the thing that strikes me as well, Catherine. Um, obviously you're focused on 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 that element of trying to better things, like a lot of people. But do you ever wonder whether you could make a greater impact within a party system, or is it a question of you don't see any party that? Uh, would suit you or that, that you'd feel at yeah. home? Yeah, I've had this conversation many times with Thomas Pringle and both of us feel very strongly that you can make a huge difference as an independent. And actually, from 16 to the last um, election, I think was one of the best dolls. When Claire Daly was there, Mick Wallace, Maureen O'Sullivan, they happened to all be my colleagues or my ex-colleagues. There were other good people as well. Tommy Bruin. And there were TDs that left since and Joe Collins and the group that we had, there were seven of us in that group, but there were others. And I always said that was the best all in the sense of a, a wide variety of strong, independent voices that put the government under pressure. And what helped there make as well was the business committee worked very well. Now we, we have independent voices, but they're not as strong, I certainly not as strong for the vision that I'd like to articulate. And in that context, we saw, for instance, after um, 2016, a number of independents got together and they went into government. Again, would you see that as a possible option? Leading into this formation of this government, I went to Dublin every single week and so did Thomas Pringle. And we worked actively with Sinn Féin, who were actively working with the Social Democrats. And we were all working to come up with a programme for government. And there were certain fundamental things that we outlined and we wanted to challenge Fianna Fáil to say you do not need to go in with Fianna Gael or the Greens you can, or, or vice versa. You can support us in a minority government. It didn't get much um, press at the time. We were working away every single week. Um, Covid came along as well, of course, and that was another element. But we actively worked on the programme. And so what were the basic things that, that if a government... if, if, if uh, parties forming a government came to me and said, this is my stall, I won't be changing from it. We need public health. You can't call call a society civilised without public health for everybody on the basis of need. You have to have public housing for everybody. 
So you have public housing on public land with access to nurses, teachers, with controlled rent. The government has to show that they're in the market. In the middle of the market. They have to show that they're serious about providing housing and send a message out to the market. We need public education, public transport, and underpinning all of that is we have no choice in relation to climate change. We are the last elected doll that has a chance to do anything with climate change. And so they're basic. They're just basic subjects that we need to deal with, basic issues. In that context, Catherine, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I get the impression that you could envisage if... if um if things happened in a particular way, a scenario whereby you'd be amenable to going to a government perhaps led by Sinn Féin, but not so with Fine Gael, or is it just merely if they come along and they can they can meet your... your yeah, do you know, for, so for too long, independents have been cornered on that. Uh, uh, there are core issues that I'm never going to change on. I, I will never be a spinner. I will never be part of a game. I, I just, it just won't happen. But all sides play that, though, Catherine. I, th- I think all big parties are. Big to parties some, do. To... Big parties do absolutely. And actually, I'm going back again to labour, to labour, and I'm going to use another example of a, a point in time where I thought, "Good Lord, I'm, I'm, what am I doing?" I remember working as a barrister, and I was up at, I don't know, a national executive meeting or something, and. They were talking about, uh, and this is going way back. Remember, I was gone in in six seven. Uh, they were talking about getting in a, a PR company to help to help labour at that point. And I don't want this to become a, a labour thing. I, I really yeah, don't. Yeah. But I'm using it as an issue. It was a moment in time for me where they'd get a PR company to sell the message. And I remember saying, "Why would we need to sell our message? Should the labour has to stand for something that's distinctly different?" And you know, public housing, public health, public transport. Why would we need a PR company for that? And I won't say who, but I was accused of burying my head in the sand. I remember walking up the quays that day and looking over at the forecourt saying, what am I doing? I should be over there. And here I'm listening to a... I'm in a party that wants to spin. So I have a a fundamental reaction to spinning things. I think we need to stand up as politicians, say what we believe in. We make mistakes, put our hands up. We're human beings um, and, and move on. But work towards what we believe in. In that respect, one thing that seems to be the case in terms of national politics now is that after decades of a particular, what's, I suppose, disparagingly described as tweedledum, tweedledee, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, but it does seem that we're now moving to a scenario where there's definitely going to be a more left-right divide. Is that something... Or, well, first of all, do, do you think that is what's happening? And if so, is it a positive thing? Well, I'll answer that for you, but I'll just, I, I was listening today to the debate on Brexit and then I spoke at the end and I heard Jim Callan and I referred to this in the Dáil and he talked about the polarisation of politics and what's happened in England and America and that we don't want that in Ireland and unfortunately some of the people on the extreme either end, uh, this, this is what happens, but that Fianna Fáil is in the middle. Now, uh, uh, if that was the start of a debate, I would say well done. Deputy Callanan. But it was the end of the debate because he said Fianna Fáil were the solution in the middle. As opposed to analysing how is it that people feel polarised or how, do the, how does politics become polarised? How did 
the American ordinary people, people in the states, the mid-states, feel that Trump was the better person? Why did people vote for Brexit? So that was the point I was making today in my speech. That's the analysis we need to do. We don't need to demonise the uh, people and call them illiterate or uneducated. We need to analyse as to how they could possibly think that Trump was better than Clinton. Uh, and I'm using Clinton at that time, the exact, repeated we were lucky with Biden and he got in. But it was clear with Clinton that they just didn't believe what was being said and they had Trump and they knew he wasn't telling the truth either, but at least he wasn't pretending to. So I think that's the challenge that we face. Uh, Jim Callan half started a debate and then closed it by saying he was the solution as opposed to looking at what has happened. But what people say in relation to that though, Catherine, is that we haven't experienced that in this country as they have in those two you mentioned, along with other European and further field countries, that politics of extremism. And people suggest on one level that even though there's a lot congregated in the middle, so to speak, perhaps that is better than giving voice to that extremist. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you asked me a question about left and right. I'm, I'm inclined to think more what's right and wrong. And it's wrong to have spin doctors. It's a waste of public money. You're spinning something. Actually, having become Las Cancorla and we had to go through an exercise lately because the Cancorla wasn't available. And as well as, as well as cheering in the doll, the Cancorla has a lot of other roles. And when he's not there, then it falls to me to do it. And one of those roles is to look at questions that TDs have tabled. And the Cancorla or the Las Cancorla is the final arbiter of wh- whether this question can be questioned, can be tabled. And that was a fascinating exercise that took hours. I, there were two women working with me in the office in Dublin. I was in Galway. And uh, the amount of work that went into looking at that. Now, why I say that is because it really brought home to me the amount of work that's going on by public servants behind closed doors. So the question goes for the relevant, say, the Garda Sheikhan or something. The Department of Justice look at that. Then there's a principal clerk and a senior clerk. They look at it. They might agree that the question should be allowed or disallowed. They might disagree. And then the Cancorler, the last Cancorler goes through it all. So I look at all of that and I think we should just be telling the people the amount of work that's going on as opposed to a spin doctor. So if you go back to the last government where they put money aside for a spin unit and appointed a team of spin doctors, I mean, it's absolutely... To me, it's nauseating. I think it is. I think it is to a lot of people that agree with you. T- tell me, just finally, Catherine, are you hopeful in terms of the political direction of the country? Uh, I, I'm. I'm very worried about climate change. I'm absolutely very worried about climate change. I really don't think that. I think the people are ahead of us, like they were in Galway with recycling. I think actually the people are light year ahead of politicians. Maybe. It's because the politicians are listening too much to a particular type of business voice or a lobby group. I don't know, but I am very worried that we're not taking climate change as seriously as we should be. Catherine Connolly, thank you very much for joining us today. I'd like to thank JJ Vernon, our engineer. Thank you for listening, folks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, all the platforms. Let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. We'll see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.